And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. June 12, 2021. The European Championships. Denmark versus Finland. A moment that if you are watching, you'll never forget. Christian Eriksen, Denmark's talisman, collapsed on the pitch shortly before half-time after suffering a cardiac arrest. I clearly remember as soon as I saw him drop to the ground and thought something was wrong. Instantly, because he just fall over. It's one of them uh, days that are a bit hard to put into words. He was lucky. Thank God uh, the, the medical staff was, was there quick. He now lives with an ICD, an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, and he can play football again. But for someone integral to Brentford's rise, their story doesn't have a happy ending. I've already introduced you to Robert Rowan, Brentford's technical director and the man behind Brentford's B team. Robert passed away in his sleep in 2018, aged just 28. He had an undiagnosed heart condition and suffered a fatal cardiomyopathy episode in his sleep. When I think back, I mean, those early days are quite hard to recall. Everything just felt very numb. I'm Jay Harris. This is Access All Areas Brentford, episode three. Ericsson, Rowan and the heart of West London. When something like this happens, the football community comes together. You hear it in certain minutes in matches. Or before a match. His smile, his warm personality, his talent will be missed by everyone here. And it will never be forgotten. And that historic fixture against Arsenal on the opening day of the 2021-22 season, in the 28th minute, Brentford fans stood and showed their respect for the memory of Rob. The minute chosen for the age Rob was when he passed away. Yeah, it was actually really hard going into that game. <laughs> you know, I was excited, obviously, for the first Premier League game, but it was hard going into it, kind of not knowing what to expect. And also that maybe slight worry that it wasn't going to come through. There was bigger things to think about on the night for the club, obviously. <laughs> but to sit there and have people honour him in that way was just absolutely amazing. I'm Suzanne Rowan, I'm Robert's wife. Robert was the yeah, best person I've ever met. We met when he was 19. He's always been football daft. Nitty Raj, director at Brentford. He was absolutely passionate about his football. It was everything to him. So, you know, if you wanted to build a Brentford person, you, you would make them like that. You would say, we'll, make, we'll have somebody who's super passionate about football, who's incredibly open-minded, who gets the football side of things. You can wear a tracksuit, talk to coaches, and be on a football pitch, and players and football staff can have a conversation with him and feel like he's our guy. Full of fun, full of life, full of personality, just loved life, and yeah, just great fun, great laughs. <laughs> 
He never played football to a high level, but he was very involved in sports. He actually played volleyball to quite a high standard when he was younger. But once he kind of realised he wasn't going to go anywhere with that, and in football he just started to write scouting reports. And then when we'd not long started going out, he decided he was just going to send off reports to loads of different clubs and ended up getting picked up by Celtic. Did a little stint with them, did some work with SFA, did some work at Senrous Muir, a couple of local clubs in Scotland, and then kind of didn't really work out with the SFA at the point he was there. So he ended up kind of taking a bit of a break and working in a call centre. But through connections he'd made through different football avenues, he'd um, got in touch with David Weir, who was at Brentford at the time. And he got in touch with him about the possibility of coming down to Brentford and the conversation escalated, interviews happened. And then 2014, he packed his bags and moved to London to come and be at Brentford. So, yeah. When he was, you know, when you were talking about him going down to, to Brentford, what was he telling you about Brentford. Did you know much about the club? Were you just like, where is Brentford? <laughs> yeah, pretty much probably the standard thing of everybody getting it mixed up with like Brentwood and stuff. And yeah, I didn't even really know it was in London. And I mean, to be honest, back then I wasn't into football at all. I had no concept of Championship, Premier League, anything like that. Like where they kind of sat with and all that kind of stuff or their history. But yeah, he'd obviously done his research and told me quite a bit about it. And I think he was just quite intrigued by the way it was run, about the kind of promises that it had in the growth, development, everything, and just thought it was something he would like to be part of. After being at the club for two years, Robert was put in charge of the B team. Robert made it quite obvious that he was keen to get a project and get something, like get his teeth in, really into something. So yeah, they decided for obviously various reasons they were shunned in the academy. So yeah, he pretty much got the the task. I think Phil said that he kind of like literally threw it at him saying, take this and run with it and kind of start up the B team. So yeah, I think it just kind of played to his kind of advantage in the sense that that's what you like to do you like to scout young players you like to see young talent coming through and yeah he just kind of took it and went with it and just I think through the contacts he'd built up as well already through in previous roles he'd yeah just managed to kind of make the best of it and just ran with it and really really enjoyed it but I think it was really hard work as well. Before I tell you more about Robert I'm going to tell you what exactly the B team is. You might have heard about it recently thanks to this guy. Romeo Beckham, the son of the former Manchester United, Real Madrid and LA Galaxy midfielder and England captain David Beckham, joined Brentford's B-team from Inter Miami earlier this year. More on him in a moment. Brentford set up their B-team in 2016 after shutting down their academy. Academies are used by football clubs to train and develop the next generation of players. Most clubs have an academy which looks after players between the ages of 9 and 21. Brentford was spending around £2 million a year running their academy, but their best players were getting poached by teams with better resources and facilities. They decided to close their academy and set up a B team, which would just focus on developing players between the ages of 18 and 21, who were more likely to break into the first team and help the club achieve their ultimate goal of getting promoted to the Premier League. But Brentford's decision attracted a lot of criticism. Oh, we closed our academy down. Some people thought that was pretty crazy. We felt that was in line with our ambition of getting promoted. Like, let's take every decision to try and get promoted. So not every club would have or should even have taken that decision in our position. Since the summer of 2019, the B team has been managed by... Neil McFarlane, the B team head coach. I'm a hugely demanding coach, hugely intense coach, and I think that that, again, suits this project. It's my passion every single day that I come in to, to make the players better uh, and every player will find their level. 
uh, and pushing them to new levels, uh, like I've always spoke about. And and that comes from the, the highly demanding training that we do every single day and, and really pushing these players to limits that they've never seen before, in my opinion. The age range in, in my period here has been 18 to 21. But now we're able to sign the 17s and the 16-year-olds and the 15-year-olds. If they're a top young 15, 16, 17-year-old, naturally they want to be involved in the B team. And the two teams, I think, provide a, an unbelievable platform and a pathway for the players. And for the players to smell that opportunity of first-team football, I think is really, really important. That sometimes you don't get at other clubs where there's naturally more and more players within the training ground. One of the benefits of the B team is they do not play in a league, which means they organise their own fixtures against a wide variety of opponents. You have the, say for instance, the ability to play non-league teams that you've seen us play over the years. You have the elite academies that we came up against in the Premier League Cup, and then you have the tours where we go and play in the Atlantic Cup or any other tours that take us to the likes of Monaco last year and, and even Lake Como and, and many other destinations through my period of time here within the B team. So it gives us a great variety and a different style of play for all the players to come up against and to, to basically help their development. And then within the programme, we never ever play any game like a friendly and in no time in my time here has any game ever felt like a friendly. And they've had a pretty successful year, winning the Premier League Cup, which is a competition just for youth teams. Mads Rursliv is the best example of a B-team player who's gone on to become a key figure for the senior side. Rursliv joined the club from FC Copenhagen in 2019 for around £50,000 and he'd previously played in the Danish second division. Rursliv became a key player for Brentford in the championship and he set up a goal in that famous 2-0 victory over Swansea City in the playoff final. He's now made 40 appearances for them in the Premier League and signed a new long-term contract in February. Okay, you're probably wondering how does Romeo Beckham, the son of football royalty, fit into all of this? Enter Lee Dykes, technical director. I got a good connection with his dad and Phil Neville. Phil's now left in Miami, but I, you know, good connection with Phil. Uh, and they reached out to us and said, could we help Romeo? Uh, as part of his off-season programme. So we got him in for an element of training. And the most important thing for myself and the staff was finding out about Romeo, and he's a terrific young man. He's, he's I talk about being a good human being, he's a, he's a very good human being. He marries him with what is a brilliant culture within the place. He works hard every single day on and off the pitch, but he's not scared to muck in and do... The, the appropriate things you know pick up clean up after you and, and really adhere to the standards that we drive here every day and he just really bought into it David Beckham won over 15 trophies during his career and led England at two World Cups Romeo's only 20 years old so how does he compare at this stage of his career I really liked him I think he's a good player I think he's got a chance okay and I wanted to speak to him about his ambitions. So I would speak to him, speak to David. What's the ambitions? Like realistically, if he had to go and play league football, EFL football, would that be in his, his mindset? Very quickly, Romeo just wants to play football. Like he just wants a career in football, preferably uh, maybe in England at this stage of his career, but also with a, a plan that the MLS is a good league as well. And we just feel that there's a player in there that we can help go on to another level. Um, he's got some super skill sets and we'll just assess this in six month um, sort of periods on where he's at, where he's going to go next. But he's also 
which I think has been actually really influential and importantly brought a real spotlight on the team as well as it, each year you want to see something different every single year well there was a spotlight on the team last year because because of his name and, and because of the amount of media attention around it then obviously as I said naturally what you want is more scouts more people coming to watch games all these types of things that all obviously help whether it's Romeo or A and other trying to obviously move in the next step of their career so it's been good for both parties and we obviously want to keep kicking that on Due to a change in the rules, all Premier League clubs now have to run an academy. Brentford started the process of relaunching theirs in the summer of 2022. Their under-18 side will be based at the main training ground from next season and Lydia Bedford was appointed as head coach in June 2023. Bedford is one of the only women to hold a coaching role in men's football in the UK. The first team, the B team and the academy all train at the Robert Rowan Performance Centre. It's where the majority of these interviews you're hearing have taken place. So it still very much feels like a bit surreal, the whole thing. It almost like kind of like as if it's happening to somebody else. And you kind of go through these motions of different things. But to arrive here and see the name above and then go in and see his portrait there and the lovely words that the club had put underneath, it was, yeah, it was really hard, but also really amazing for him, for us, yeah. Without Robert, none of this happens. But Robert's legacy is about so much more than the B team. Sadly, I wasn't obviously able to meet Robert, but he's a huge influence every single day on what we try to do within the B team. Again, I go back to when I first interviewed for this job, we, we talked about Robert, uh, I knew of him. I knew the building blocks he'd put in place and it was up to us to, to make his name proud. Rob's legacy is to be brave about being different. Outside the main building here, there's a blackboard with a couple of dozen names on it. They are the B-team players who've made an appearance for the first team. At the top is its title, the Robert Rowan First Team Debut Board. It's hard to find the words sometimes, you know, because, yeah, to have, you know, the person you love most in the world and they're gone so quickly and then to have something to honour him so much and the impact that the club say that he's had in his short time here and to honour that by doing something like the first team board and have people be able to see his name and talk about it. It was always a pleasure to do stuff for him. Yeah, miss him. Here's Suzanne to explain what happened to Robert. So when I first met Robert, he explained to me that he had a kind of ongoing heart issue that had been investigated on and off since he was about 15, 16. We had a few episodes of palpitations, a few kind of dizzy spells. He'd obviously spoke to his parents about it. His mum had taken him to a few different hospitals and things. Got a few tests done, a few different things. Got sent into London at one point to get checked out. And they never kind of concluded anything. They just said that there was something there that wasn't quite right, but to keep an eye on it. Yeah, it was kind of just left to him to manage, which again, looking back, I think was a lot harder for him than what he let on. And he could go months without having anything and he would be absolutely fine, but then sometimes he would go through periods where he would, you know, especially at night time, when he was sleeping and things, and sometimes we would go to any, sometimes he would kind of leave it till the next morning and we would follow up, but 
because whenever we did see anybody, whether it was any a few hours later or the doctor the next day, he wasn't going through those episodes, so it was really difficult for them to pick up exactly what was going on. He did kind of do the standard 24-hour ECG stuff and he got loads of checks. But yeah, unfortunately, it was never properly diagnosed and yeah, I had bad episodes in February 2018. Again, got checked out again, seemed to think that there was no real cause for concern. And then the weekend, um, in November, we had a really nice weekend. We'd been at QPR game on a Saturday, right with my auntie and uncle on a Saturday evening. Sunday, really nice chill day together. Went to bed quite early because he had a conference the next day with Thomas and Phil. Yeah, went to bed and I never woke up again. His heart just stopped in his sleep. Robert was just 28 years old when he died. Nitty Raj. You don't expect to lose a 28-year-old, but, you know, not waking up one morning. And so I don't think, I mean, there was just shock, I think, that um, our friend um, had gone. Like, you know, you leave a football match and you you kind of imagine that you're going to see everybody on the Monday. Phil rang me and he said, Rob's died. And I was like, who? Like, I couldn't even concede. He was like, Rob Brown, who? What? Like, it, it's it's just, I could not conceive of how that could have happened to someone that passionate and vibrant and, you know, alive. When I think back, I mean, those early days are quite hard to recall. Everything just felt very numb. The club were a huge support to Suzanne. They were incredible. They reached out right away. They supported myself and Robert's parents, our whole family got in touch about, you know, what they could do to support first and foremost. Um, and then as kind of days went on, I think between the staff and friends that Robert had at the club, it's different ideas of what they wanted to do to honour his memory and um, celebrate and all that, celebrate his memory, all that kind of stuff. They just kind of kept coming to us with different thoughts, but not in a, a pressurised way, just a very gentle, soft, you know, we're here and, you know, people thought about this, what is your opinion? Like, how do you guys feel about this? It was, it was, Mind-blowing, actually. Brentford have had a long-standing affiliation with heart-related charities and have run heart screenings for a charity called CRY, which stands for Cardiac Risk in the Young. If you screen 100 people, then one or two, on average, you're going to find someone who needs referral. That's an incredibly important and useful thing to do. So that, that was a really obvious way of saying we can make a difference to, to just help with screening so you can provide the facility right you can you can provide the building the community sports trust has been fantastic in providing the, those facilities and people and and resource to be able to manage those days and this gets amplified by midfielder christian erickson erickson attended a free heart screening event which brentford and cry put on for members of the local community in may 2022 i went along to the event and was extremely grateful i could have my heart screened luckily i was given the all clear Christian was like 10x to everything in terms of profile. Yeah, I think you cry a relatively small charity and to be able to have somebody like Christian come and so willingly speak when he had not long been at Brentford and to um, you know support in that way was incredible. And it was just, it was, a, it was an honour to be there, to have Thomas come down and Christian and be able to see what we're doing and what we're trying to promote. And obviously Thomas knows the background of it all, but yeah, I think for Christian to come along on that day was, yeah, exceptionally kind. He was incredibly genuine about it. He came along and he talked to people and because of his experience and his insight, 
he had something really important to say to the the individuals that he talked to at, at the screening. As you heard at the start of the episode, Christian Eriksen had a heart attack during an international match. I haven't actually spoken about it for a long time, and it's not because I don't want to, it's just it's not really been, been brought up. Christian Norgaard, Brentford's captain and fellow Denmark international alongside Eriksen, was sat on the bench when his teammate collapsed on the pitch. I just locked my, I didn't really, I just had a shield up and maybe didn't let the emotions go through. Uh, because in the end of the day, it was about Christian, right? His family. And uh, even though we were all uh, affected by what happened, he's the one who was traumatized and his family, of course, from it. So there was just a lot of support, of course, towards him. And we, we, we went on to do really well in a tournament, playing for him, playing for the country. And that moment will forever be the most special time in my football uh, career, both for the positives and the negatives. And often in a, in a beautiful story, there, there are both sides of it. It's not only a positive story, but yeah, it was, it was of course a, a tough day, but hey, uh, Thank God the medical staff was, was there quick and he's playing football. At the time of the incident, Ericsson played for the Italian club Inter Milan. After being resuscitated, he underwent surgery and was fitted with an ICD, an implantable cardioverter defibrillator. It works like a pacemaker, but the ICD can send a shock to reset an abnormal heartbeat back to normal. However, rules in Italy prevent footballers from playing if they're fitted with a heart device. Inter agreed to terminate Ericsson's contract so he could find a new club. A lot of people questioned if it was safe for Ericsson to play football again, but he was determined to resume his career. Enter an unexpected character. My son texted me in October and said, Dad, why are you not contacting Christian Ericsson? That's right, Thomas Frank's son. Then I got away from it, and then uh, I think in December, uh, where we, you know, got a little bit closer, he he, he texted me again. He said, "Dad, come on, contact Christian." Oh uh, yeah, maybe you're right. And then of course we we talked about it with uh, uh, with Rasmus and Phil, and then I called Christian, and then I said, "Hi, Christian, how are you?" He said, "I'm good, thank you." He said, and then uh, uh, we talked a little bit back back and forth on how he was and how the family was and how they're coping with it. And then 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 I said, "I heard that you would like to, uh, you know." start to play football again so uh, do you want to come play for Brentford and then he said it's funny you said it Thomas because I've also been thinking a little bit about you Lee Dykes I will be honest with you I did question it at the time because again I I am all about pathway and I was I was questioning what that would do to other players but Thomas and Rasmus was the big push in that and Phil did a cracking job on it and Neil Gregg as well our head of medical that to satisfy a lot of a lot of boxes in, in that respect Christian Norgard. I think Thomas approached me about it. He wanted me to try and reach out and push him to choose Brentford. And uh, remember, let's just—I was probably a bit more relaxed about it for many reasons. I thought he should decide whatever he wanted. I, we didn't want to like press him to come here uh, to Brentford. And everybody was just aligned on the fact that this is a super talent, unbelievable opportunity. Uh, and in the end, the big decision was he's going to come in and raise the level of the other players I thought hmm I think we have a good chance and then obviously Christian also called me and we spoke about it and uh, said uh, yeah don't come and watch the train come mate just you'll be disappointed but I, I promise you it's a good group and it's a good uh, staff uh, and it's a very good club as well so uh, whether you're staying here for six months or you're staying here for longer I'm sure you will appreciate your time here and uh, he joined up and it was really good for both him and the club uh, it was really really beautiful story I think 
Brentford eventually signed Ericsson on a six-month contract in January 2022. And his impact on the team? Well, let's let the stats do the talking. Here's the case for Christian. From December 26th to February 26th, Brentford won one match. We needed somebody to come in and, and relax us a little bit. There's a bit of tension about the place. They slipped to 15th, three points off the relegation places. We was crying out for that experienced Premier League international player that, that could get us on the ball more. Ericsson's first appearance for the club was as a substitute in a 2-0 defeat to Newcastle on February the 26th. Josh De Silva got sent off after 10 minutes though, so it was always going to be difficult for him to make an impact. But then after that, Brentford went on a spectacular run and they won seven of the final 11 matches of the season. In this time, Ericsson elevated the team and his own numbers. Striker Ivan Toney scored six goals in the four matches they started together. Ericsson created the fourth highest amount of chances for Brentford that season, despite playing in less than a third of their matches. Oh, and he also scored a pretty memorable goal against West London rivals Chelsea during a famous 4-1 win at Stamford Bridge. Duma has given Ziyech the slip. Ericsson alongside, joined by Tony. It's Ericsson! They've turned it around! And he really helped us. But when he came here, he just... Uh always stayed out after training, shooting, he was always having a ball involved, he, he just, he breathed football and uh, therefore it was the perfect timing for him to come back. So the only thing I regret there was that we didn't try to lock him down for one and a half year. I think there, I think there was a window where that was open, but no matter what, it was a fantastic fairy tale. him coming back to football. Brentford were convinced this man was back. The problem was other teams had seen what he could do and as Frank said, they didn't lock him down for long enough. In the end, Ericsson left on a free transfer when his contract expired and he joined Manchester United. It was quite, quite hard to persuade him to do more than six months, <laughs> which would have been nice. That was when I not only had Thomas in my bag, I also had Phil and Matthew uh, coming to me. Make sure he stays, make sure he stays. I thought he had done fantastically. He was a free agent. He could go wherever he wanted, really. And it's like, Chris, you did perfect for us. Maybe you, maybe you should find a, a club that's more suitable for you and your talent. And uh, I think he, he made a good choice there. He's, he's been a really good player for them. And even though we would have loved to have him here, it's also very nice to see him do so well in a big club like Man United. In their first season, Brentford proved they could hack it in the Premier League. But could they do it again? and do better than their 13th place finish. The cliche is... The second season syndrome thing is, is, is you know, I mean, it's just, even the wording is just ridiculous, isn't it? Um, yes, sure, some teams go down the second year. Some teams go down the third year. Well, they could. In fact, Brentford were having a brilliant second season. They beat Manchester United 4-0 in the second match of the season. They beat Man City 2-1 at the Etihad and 1-0 at home to complete an unexpected double. They also won against Liverpool, Spurs and Chelsea although most teams beat the latter two that season. They finished ninth, narrowly missing out on qualifying for European competition and striker Ivan Toney scored over 20 goals for the club. If Rob could see where Brentford are and the B team are today, what do you think he'd say? I think he would be incredibly proud, but I also think he, he knew, you know, I think he knew the club had it in them to do 
what they've done. That's why you want to be part of it. Yeah, I just think he'd be super proud of all his um, friends and colleagues and yeah, the B team especially. I think that's such a such a great part of what the club are doing. And yeah, I think he would be super impressed. No doubt about it. The stories of Ericsson and Rowan led Brentford to setting up the Heart of West London in October 2022, which places all the charities the club worked with under one banner. Club director Nitty Raj is central to it all. You get to the Premier League and someone hands you a megaphone and says, people are going to listen to you now because, you know, you're one of these 20 clubs that uh, suddenly are on this global stage. And um, so what are you going to use it for? And it has been effective, as Chief Executive John Varney explains. I'm really proud of the work that we've we've done in that area, not just the football club, but through the Community Sports Trust, through work Marcus Gale has done as well. You know, it, it really came home to me um, on the day of the Newcastle United match. Um, I get in the stadium pretty early, the gates opened, and I get a, a message on my phone that one of our supporters had had a heart attack in, in the dugout. And if it wasn't for the fact that we had done good training with our safety and security staff and our stewards, that we had defibrillator very near the incident, um, that supporter wouldn't be with us now. And actions speak louder than words. And um, I'm incredibly proud of that and, and the team of people that supported that fan that day. Next on Access All Areas Brentford, there's a storm brewing in the Football Association's offices relating to star striker Ivan Tony. So if Ivan wanted to go and work with the community and go into council estates in Brentford and play football with the kids, he's not allowed to do it. And, and he's not allowed to come in and train if he wants to. And I find that difficult to accept. Do you understand why some fans don't like, not necessarily just Brentford, but Skybet sponsoring the EFL and that close relationship? Of course I can understand it. And I know it is a, you know, it's a divisive subject. Access to Areas Brentford was hosted by me, Jay Harris. It was written by Jay Harris and Abby Patterson. It was produced by Abby Patterson with additional production from Max Davru and Jay Beal. It was an athletic media company production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.